Happy Father's Day. So good to have you. I know this is a difficult day for some, uh, but we all give thanks regardless of what our relationship was or is with our Father, that God gave us a Father and that we are here today. Now, as we talk about this, you know, we're in Philippians chapter 4. We're finishing up this uh, book today. And later on uh, in the summer, I'm going to do the second half of uh, Philippians 4. That'll be a couple months from now, but I'm going to give you the first half. And uh, today, as we talk about this, you know, there are a lot of verses in Philippians that you find on people's mugs and in people's walls. Uh, and sometimes, you know, people will use uh, the Bible kind of like Xanax. You know what I mean? They, they kind of look at it this way. They go, you know, I'm tired. And somebody will go, read Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are tired and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Oh, okay, I feel better now. Or sometimes people will say, you know, I've got this big basketball game or I've got this contest. Maybe I'm doing a dunking contest and, you know, I hadn't been able to dunk before, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm, I'm going to be able to do that. Or other people will take the Bible and they'll use it like the crazy eight ball. Remember that? The crazy eight, like you shake it up and you ask it a question, you know, am I going to be rich? And you shake it up and it says, you know, uh, maybe, I don't know, or something like that. And you keep shaking it up and getting the right verse that you want or the right statement that you want. Sometimes people do that with the Bible. You know, they just open it up and go, Judas went out and hung himself. Let's try it again. Whatever you do, go do quickly. I, I mean, you, you have to be careful with that approach. I know sometimes, you know, somebody was telling me last week, um, a friend of mine was saying, you know, my daughter opened the Bible up, and it went straight to the verse that we were talking about. You know, sometimes that happens, and I'm not saying God can't do that, but that's not generally the way that God expects us to, to read Scripture. He wants us to understand it in its context. And so that's what I would encourage you to do as we look at the book of Philippians uh, to understand the context that it's in. Now, as we were talking about those other types of ways to read the Bible, uh, what would you guess would be the most prominent, according to Amazon, for 2017, 2018, when people read the Bible, uh, and the place that they marked, the chapter that they marked the most often would be what? What would you might guess that would be? Maybe you think the Lord's Prayer, well, that would good. What about John 3, 16? Maybe John chapter 3. Maybe, maybe Psalm 23, because a lot of people know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A lot of people know that one. What would people underline the most in 2017 and 2018? You know what they found out? It was this chapter we're about to read, Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at the, the exact text that people more often in, than any other text do they underline and highlight is they're reading the Kindle. That's only, of course, they can't see if you're doing it on, on hard paper, uh, but in the Kindle. This is the passage that has been highlighted the most in the United States of America out of Scripture over the past two years. So I think it's of merit that we understand why are people highlighting this? Why are people underlining this? Why are they thinking this is so important? And this passage has to do with joy and contentment. That ought to tell us something right there. And so I've titled this sermon uh, this. It's learning the power or the peace of God. Learning the peace of God. And I use that word learning because Paul's going to mention that very word here in just a moment. So as we look at this passage and as we think about it, it's important to remember, Paul is in prison. This is one of the last letters he will ever write. It's probably the second to last letter he'll ever write. And he probably is killed within a year 
from writing this letter. He knows that he is in prison under Nero. Nero is not favorable toward Christianity at all, and he's appealed to Caesar, and usually that ends in your death, uh, except in rare occasions. And so here is Paul in a desperate place, and he is chained to a prison guard 24 hours a day. He's in prison, and he has been through much suffering, and he is writing this letter to the Philippian church. He's thanking them for all their support, how they financially supported him, how they prayed for him. And now he's concluding this letter in chapter 4, and Paul doesn't know. This could be my last letter. He, do, he doesn't know. By the way, when we read this letter in just a moment, I think it's important for us to remember that when the Bible was written, when Paul is writing the, the, the letter of the Philippians, he didn't put chapter and verses in there. That's something that we added about 1,000 years later, quite frankly. Okay, About eight, eight 900 years later, scholars began to put chapter and verses. So this was just a letter, and it would have been passed around to the churches and read to the churches in the early church, and copies were made of it as a letter because that's how it was. Okay, but we've now marked it into chapter four chapters and the corresponding verses that we have. But it's important that we read this in context. So I want to start back. I want to take a step back, and because I think uh, in chapter three, verse twenty, is a critical part to understanding the context of Philippians chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to look at that with me together, <clears throat> beginning in Philippians chapter three, beginning in. 20. Uh, and the Bible says, as Paul is writing <laughs> to the Philippian church, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a critical verse to understanding this passage. Paul is saying, You are in a world that is not meant for you. You are my ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. Paul said, I'm an ambassador for Christ, but this is not my permanent home. This is not my real home. This is not the world that God intended, but I am an ambassador to share his light. It's the country that I'm living in now. It's the world that I'm living in now, but this is not your home. This is not where your citizenship, where your permanent residence will be. I want you to understand that, Philippian church. And he says, who will transform our lowly body to be like the glorious body by the power that enables us to subject us all things to himself? Then verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. How do, what do I stand firm? Why is he saying therefore? Therefore, what I'm about to talk to you about, what I'm about to say to you, remember you are a citizen of heaven. You are a believer in Christ Jesus. You have his power, his presence in you. And so I want you to stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Verse 2, the Bible says, and now he mentions two people who are not getting along together in church. I know you are so surprised by this, but there are two women here who are not getting along for some reason. And they're godly women. They're good women. They're servants, Paul says, and they're given names. And by the way, I, I, I'm always fascinated. Uh, I was with a family the other day who had several, multiple children, and all their children had a biblical name. I, I think that's really cool. But I've noticed that no one ever names their daughters Udia and Sintiki. <clears throat> you know, I just think that's interesting. And if they did, I'd kind of worry about it. But anyway, he says, I entreat Udia and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord, to come together. Because why? You're a citizen of heaven. You're a child of the king. Yes, I ask you also, true companions, 
help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers. We know Clement was one of the church leaders. He said, help them to come together. Let's unify them. They have been so faithful. They have labored with me. They have worked. They have served. And their names are in the book of life. We only see that recorded three times in the Bible. Twice in Revelation, and then we see it here, the name in the book of life. Now, I, I don't know that this is necessarily a big book that God has, and I don't think that, you know, you get up there, he looks, and, oh, here it is. No, I can't find it. <clears throat> no, it, it, it's, a, it's a mental picture here for us. It's like your baby birth certificate. Like, here's the certificate that this is my child. Your name is written in the book, it says, the book of life. And then he says this, that ought to be a reason to rejoice right there. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. And it's interesting, Paul says this twice. And anytime you see Scripture repeat something, there's an extra emphasis on it. He's saying rejoice. Remember where Paul is? Paul has been beaten five times with 39 lashes. He's been beaten with rods three times. He has been stoned, and I don't mean with drugs. He's been literally stoned he has been imprisoned, he is aching, he's hurting, and now he's in prison again. There have been times in prison, we know from what he says later on, that he didn't have enough to eat. And he's saying, rejoice. This isn't just some platitude he's throwing out. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Can I tell you this? When we come in here this morning, one of the things we come to do in, in worship is to rejoice. And one of the ways that we do that is through prayer. One of the ways we do that is through singing. We express with joy what God means to us even when we don't know what the words are and we sing those words to the Father. We rejoice. We lift our hands. It's rejoicing. There are lots of things we do to show joy in spite of our circumstances. In spite of what's going on in our life. Matter of fact, knowing that God will be faithful to sustain us and that He will redeem for the believer all pain and suffering in the final analysis. So Paul says, We are citizens in heaven, and I want you to know that you are in the book of life, and I want you to rejoice, to live a life of rejoicing. And then he goes to verse 5, and he says, Let your reasonableness, and this is a good word for us reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Be not anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be not anxious about anything. Let me ask you this. If you're here and you're anxious about something today, and I go, don't be anxious. Okay. How does that work for you? It doesn't work. If you're like me, I've had times of anxiety and just going, all right, I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be anxious. That does not make it go away. Not if it's significant. You know what I mean? It, it has to, if it's significant, it's not a matter of just going, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. But Paul gives us a hint. He gives us some clues. Some might even say some secrets here of how we are to handle that. He says this. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Prayer first. He says, in prayer. But he doesn't just say, God, 
quit making me anxious. That's not how he encourages us to pray. What does he say? With thanksgiving. Most of you have seen this before, but I think it's uh, important for us to just have a good understanding. When he talks about prayers, and he uses this in a general sense, by the way, in a plural sense, there are at least four different types of prayers for us. And I think it's important uh, that we establish that fact in, in the way that we pray. Matter of fact, the way that our children talk to us has everything to do with what we give to them. How does it work when your kids come to you and go, I need money. I need 20 bucks. And don't act like that's never happened. It just means your kids aren't old enough yet. Uh, mine are very mature, so they started at a younger age. Yours might not have gotten there yet. How do you respond to that? You, got, you don't like that. I'm thinking, I, I don't like you asking that way. What about if they go, Mom and Dad, thank you. I know you've worked hard for everything that you have and everything you give, and I appreciate that. And um, I'm thankful. Yeah, you, you laugh because it doesn't happen that often, and you know what's coming. <laughs> Guess what? God knows what's coming anyway. Can I tell you that even though you're laughing, you still want it. You'll take that over, give me 20 bucks <laughs> any day. We want to feel there's a gratefulness, a thankfulness. And even when our children, we don't even know if it's real, we still want to encourage that. Because we hope that it becomes real and at least they will present that to other people. We are created in the image of God. Guess what we want? Guess what he wants? He wants us adoration to adore him, to recognize who he is, to give honor, to give reverence and adoration. That's the A. Number two is confession. God, I confess that I need you, that I cannot do this on my own, and that everything that I have is from your hand. You know my faults. You know my sins. And God, I confess those before you. And I give you thanks for what you've done, for what you're doing, for what you will do. Lord, I am thankful. And then the S is supplication. I'm asking. And by the way, you see those great Psalms of David uh, that just give us great examples of being of adoring Christ and of confessing and in giving thanks and then supplication Paul says this is how you handle the anxiety it's not just God get me out of this God get them out of here God kill them off God make my wife my husband happy Lord make my kids not be so entitled God take this disease away from me God take this pain away from me I know that's what we feel God wants us to take a step back and realize who we're talking to. He's the God of the universe. He's the creator of all things. He's the creator and sustainer of your life. And I recognize that, Lord. And not only do I recognize that, I, God, I confess that it will only be because of you. I confess I need you. I confess that I'm a sinner and I don't deserve it, but I'm asking you. And I give you thanks because I believe that you redeem all things and that you will use even this and, Lord, I thank you for the way that you sustained me this far. And so, God, I am asking you now. Paul seems to teach us that when we can go through that process, when that can become real in our lives, then this happens as we go back to our passage, that spirit of thanksgiving as we go back to Scripture. He says, with prayer and th- with supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then the peace of God, and we have peace with God when we know him as Savior and our sins are forgiven. Before that, we are not at peace with God. 
and we have peace with God as we seek him and, and as we make him our goal. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard is a military term. It literally means to fortify. It will fortify you. It will sustain you. In other words, there will not be something that can come across this fence that you will not be able to handle with the strength of God alone. That's what he's saying. And the scripture continues. So we see, first of all, to learning the peace of God, learning the strength of God, we must be thankful. But not just thankful. Now he tells us what to think. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Now, what, notice in verse 9 what he says. What you have learned, what you've learned. Paul's not saying that you just grasp. God, give me peace. God, make me joyful. God, make me happy. God, take this away. He goes, what you've learned, I, I believe that Paul learned this, and he probably learned it in, in prison. I mean, we know he suffered mightily. We go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and it goes through just this litany of the ways that he suffered that are uh, unbelievable. And now he's writing this letter, and now he's telling us what you've learned and what you've seen. Paul learned this in the darkness of a cell. Paul learned this in the darkness of night. Paul learned this after his beatings when he's in pain. He learned this when he didn't have enough to eat. He learned to rejoice. He learned to give thanks. And he learned to think about the beauty of the gospel. And that can almost be called doctrine. It's a word we don't usually use it, but let's say the teachings of Scripture. So what are the things that he's talking about here? Certainly these are great virtues and they're things to think of, but in a biblical sense, what are these virtues about? It's about the beauty of Christ, the virtues of Christ. So what would that look like? Well, let's look at a few teachings. And when we look at the big gospel, these are the things that we can think about. So we've thanked God. And now we're thinking, we're putting these thoughts into our heart and mind of God. God, I recognize you. I adore you. You are the sustainer and the giver of life. You are the creator of all things. Christ Jesus, you are part of the, the Godhead. You are the giver of salvation. And here's me. I, I confess that I am a man. I confess that I sin. I confess that I am weak, but you are strong. And that my only hope is in you, Christ, and your salvation, which has been granted to me because he who knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. Your righteousness has been applied to my account. You talk about lovely. You talk about noble. You talk about beauty. That someone perfect and holy, someone without sin, without blemish, would take my punishment, would take my place and give me their righteousness, give me all that they have. How astoundingly beautiful. And that the Holy Spirit would come to dwell within me and to begin to conform me into the image of Christ and to give me power and strength and that I Feed that spirit in me through scriptures. I read scriptures. I meditate on scriptures. I memorize scripture and I place it in my heart. It feeds that spirit. It feeds that power. And I put my hope in the future. The place that Christ has for me and the place that Christ is taking me and what he will do in the days ahead. 
that I have a hope. Can I tell you this? The opposite of happiness is not discouragement. It's not despair. It's not even depression. You know what the opposite of happy is or joy is? The opposite of joy, the opposite of happiness is hopelessness. That there is no future. There is no hope. And Paul is saying, you're citizens of heaven. Your name is in the book. Your God sees you. He hears you. He knows. And he has the power to redeem all things. I want you to rejoice. And I want you to know that. And just like Paul, you don't like it. If you had the choice, you would get out of it right now. You would skip this chapter. But I want you to know this is not your permanent residency. And so this is not your future. You can have hope, as he talks about in First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians, chapter four. He goes, "We are when when our loved ones die, and when we die, we are as not like those who have no hope. We have hope. It hurts. It's still bad. It's still awful when we suffer and we have pain and we lose. But there is a hope for what is to come. That's the beauty of the gospel. Think about these. So be thankful." And think about what Christ has given and about where you are going and about what you have been given and how Christ will work to redeem all these things for his beauty and for his purposes. So we're thankful and we think about Christ and the virtues of Christ and then practicing. Paul talks about practicing. Right here, if we go back to the beginning of the chapter, we we see he's Encouraging these ladies to forgive each other. Practice forgiving. Sometimes that's hard for us. Sometimes that's where the Holy Spirit has to come in and do what we cannot. Uh, Forgiveness doesn't always mean that we get to be best friends again. It means no longer do I hold this against you. That's what forgiveness means. Faith. To live it out in faith. Paul is challenging them. Live it out in faith. We notice this in our next text. Let's go back to Scripture. And he says this, And the God of peace will be with you, and I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Notice he uses that word rejoice again. Not a fake smile. Not a fake yippy-skippy. Not I'm happy. It's not about happiness. It's about who you are in Christ and who he is. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you did not have opportunity. What's Paul talking about? He goes, I've been in prison, and you've, you've tried to be, encourage me, and maybe you, you, you were cut off for a while, but now you're able to support me. You're able to pray for me. And we started off the letter in Philippians chapter 1. He was thanking them for financially supporting them and praying for them, and he's saying this again. Now you've provided for me. Not that I'm speaking in need, for I have, there's that word, learned I've learned this. I wasn't naturally born with it. I think Paul, I, I don't know what you are, but I'm a high D <clears throat> on these disc tests. And uh, I used to have a little I. I don't even really have any I. I just have D in me. I'm, so I'm like, probably you read that and you go, that's probably the most unpleasant person in the whole world. And, you, and, and maybe you're right. But I, I kind of like to pretend like Paul probably had that personality type where he's a D and he just loved to get things done, just loved to move forward, <clears throat> you know, but had no patience. And, I, I identify with that. And so 
Paul somehow has learned, quite frankly, what I have not learned, if I'm just in full confession. He said, I've learned that whatever situation I am in, even if I'm waiting at the DMV line, you know, I've learned whatever situation that I'm in to be content. Be content. Now, let's talk about what um, content does not mean. Content doesn't mean you really like what, where you are. You're excited. You know, right now, I... I've got a disease or I've lost my job and things are really challenging. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. He's not saying, be happy. He just smiles and says, this is great. Not what he's saying. Paul's not saying. I bet you if Paul had the choice, Paul, you know what? Would you like to be set free and delivered today? He would have gone, yep, I'm ready. I'm ready. He would have said yes. It doesn't mean you're happy about where you are. It doesn't even mean that you like it or that You are at a spot where you can say, you know what? I'm just accepting of wherever I am. No, you still work to change, but it's recognizing that, you know what? In spite of this, I have a future. In spite of this, I believe God will redeem. And I'm not going to put my my existence and my purpose in my circumstances. Happiness means all my circumstances are the way that I want them contentment and joy means that I am who I'm supposed to be and my purpose, I know what it is. I know what my purpose is and I believe in it. It's believing in the purpose for which God has called you and placed you and will use you in spite of the circumstance. Happiness, anytime the circumstances change, so does it. It goes away. But this joy, you can cry and have joy. You can hurt and have joy. You can be discouraged and experience joy even as he's, and contentment as he's talking about. Not that you like it, not that you want it. And he says, I know how to be brought low. Paul definitely had learned how to be brought low. He had been brought to prison, as we talked about a while ago. He's been whipped, scourged three times, or excuse me, five times with 39 lashes. Three times they've taken rods, and, which would be a staff or a stick, and they've beat him. He's been stoned. He's been jailed. He's been abandoned by friends. He's been uh, unrighteously accused over and over and over again. And he said, I know how to be brought low. You see, I was jamming. I was like the man. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I was moving up the ranks. I was becoming powerful. I had finished seminary, uh, summa cum laude. I, I mean, I'd done it all. I was on the way, dude. But now I know how to be brought low. And he comes on and he says, I know how to abound. Now I understand how to handle blessings. And Paul doesn't get a lot of material blessings or a lot of physical blessings. And in every circumstance, I've learned what? The secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance of need. He's been hungry. Because when you're in prison in that time, somebody had to bring you food from the outside. If they didn't, all you'd get was basically some clear soup and a little water. Matter of fact, a lot of times prisoners, if they stayed long enough, they would starve to death. So you were dependent on others. And so Paul probably had a period of time where nobody's bringing him anything. He's in prison. He's chained to a guard. He's getting to eat very little. But now when he does get food, he's thankful. Again, this is not Texas Roadhouse even. All right, this is not, he's not having a great, great time here, but he's having enough bread to eat. And that's what he's talking about. And he says, I've learned the secret of plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I've learned to be thankful to God Almighty. I've learned to 
think about the beauty of Christ and about the great gift that he's given me and where I'm going to be one day. And now I'm practicing uh, this spirit of contentment, of thanksgiving. I'm practicing it. I'm, God's giving it. He's put me in school. He's put me in graduate school to do this. And then comes our verse. Now we think about everything that we've heard, everything that we've talked about. And we recognize he's not just talking about winning a sporting event. He says, in light of what we just talked about, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In light of the face of death, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Knowing that beatings, more beatings may come, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Knowing that I'm going to be alone, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see what the context that he's using this in? And so <clears throat> when we want something and we apply this verse, it might do us well to remember the context in which Paul is speaking. Not that God doesn't want to bless us. Not that God doesn't give us good things. He does. But this isn't a guarantee. This not, oh, I tried that verse. It didn't work. Let me tell you, you probably weren't in the circumstances he's talking about. And number, number two, have you been thankful and grateful? Number two, do you think about the beauty of Christ? And number three, are you practicing the faith? Are you practicing forgiveness? Are you practicing being content with what God has given you? Embrace that. And the last thing that he says multiple times, let's go to the last point, rejoice. Rejoice. If you want to do all things to Christ who strengthens you, then I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to be thankful. I want to encourage you to think about the gospel. I want to encourage you to practice your faith, and I want you to rejoice. Rejoice! Even when I'm discouraged, even when I don't feel like it. You know, sometimes people tell me, I didn't come to church Sunday because I just didn't feel like it. I didn't want to be there. didn't feel like doing any of that singing and stuff or any of that. I just felt like I'd be hypocritical if I came. So I just decided not to come because I just don't feel like being there. I'm aggravated right now and got things going on. How does that work when you do that at work? Hey, I'm not coming in today. Just don't feel like you people. Don't want to be, I want to be a hypocrite. So I'm going to be off this week. <laughs> that's an immature response. That's, that's saying, you know what? I gotta, everything's got to be right for me. And it becomes about us. Paul is saying it's not about us, it's about him. And let me give you, let me give you four simple ways you can rejoice particularly when you come to church. You can do these anywhere. I think one of the best tools, the best tools in our arsenal against anxiety, against the discouragement of Satan is this. Certainly it's prayer. We just talked about that, the prayer of Thanksgiving. But the, the other one, the next one is singing. As we sing worship, we see David doing this all through the Psalms. Can I tell you this? I, it wasn't too long ago. I remember I was just really uptight. I, I was in anxiety. I don't know a better way to put it. And God kind of brought these, these uh, courses back to me. They were old that I learned when I was younger, and they were worship songs on Scripture. And I started singing those and singing those. And um, I was walking, and I just kept walking and walking and singing those until God's peace overcame the anxiety I was feeling and experiencing. When we rejoice, when we sing unto the Lord, that spirit, the, the spirit of Satan can have no part of that. That's the inner joy outside of the circumstances that dwells within us. That spirit of Christ longing to come forth out of our voice and out of our heart. 
and it feeds our spirit and it brings praise to God. You know when I am most encouraged, you know, over here as a pastor sometimes, when I see people singing and I hear sometimes people are they're clapping their hands, they're raising their hands. Those are all issues, those are all examples of rejoicing to God, singing. When I raise my hands, so many times I look out in this congregation and I'll see people raising their hands that I know are struggling. I mean, life is hard right now. And they have their hands lifted. And you know what it means? It doesn't mean this, everything's great. It's God, I need you. I confess you. God, I adore you. I need you. And you are the sustainer of my life. I affirm these words that are coming out of my mouth. That's rejoicing. That's what's happening in that moment. Sometimes people clap. Matter of fact, I know one of the ladies uh, in our church here who I love, who's been through cancer, who's had just so many things have gone, just talk about things are hard. Sometimes we'll be, we'll be singing a song, and she starts clapping. And some of you might go, what? who is doing that? You're not rejoicing, by the way. That means you're not rejoicing. Uh, you're, 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 all, you're all about, who's, who are, what are people doing around here? And that's another sermon for another day. But anyway, the problem's not them, by the, the problem's not that person, by the way. Because when you recognize it's Christ alone, it's all that you have, and that he is the one sustaining you, you will want to rejoice. You remember when you realize it is only because you, Lord, that I can even take another step. I want to give one last one, and I'll go ahead and say this right up front. I don't think most of you should do this. Um, there are probably a few of you it would be fine. Most of you, I would encourage you. Well, I don't want to say that. Uh, if you feel like you shouldn't do that, you, you really probably shouldn't. But um, we had, a, 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 there was this tremendous lady in our church. Uh, her name was Chihi, and I had a daughter, Euro. And matter of fact, Junie, her husband, is here today. And uh, every time we ever had worship, every time we'd start to sing, you know, Chihi would get up. And matter of fact, um, I've got probably one of the, this is probably the most meaningful letter. Matter of fact, I have it framed from uh, Chihi and Euro that they wrote me on Father's Day. Uh, I was going through my stuff and I saw it the other day. It was on Father's Day. So this was three years ago on Father's Day. And I didn't know Chihi and Junie and Euro when they came in. And I looked over one day and, you know, Here's this girl dancing and raising her hands. I'm thinking, oh, boy, where, I wonder where she's from. And um, so I, I get to know them, and I get to hear the story and how they were raised in Korea and how she was raised in a family that had no faith, that were, not, that were antagonistic toward God at best, and how she grew up and how she began to go to church on her own and how she accepted Christ. And then she came to the United States and got her degree at Columbia, which is an Ivy League school, very intelligent, very sharp, and she was a, a mother and a, uh, and a wife. Uh, that's how God was leading her to serve, this brilliant girl with this remarkable story uh, and of just so many things that she had to overcome. And as I got to know her, and I realized, you know, she's about 10 times smarter than me, and uh, her worship was so authentic, and she would dance, and she would raise her hands. And it didn't distract me. It encouraged me. I've seen people dance at church that, they shouldn't I run around with streamers. You know, I shouldn't have said that, but anyway. Um, you know, and I'm just going, that, I don't know that it's helping anybody worship. But anyway, that, maybe it is. But it was so powerful. And I had a lady just a few weeks ago bring up Chihi again. She goes, you know what? When I stand, she goes, I, I was in a very, I grew up in a different background. And 
never raising hands, and that just seemed odd to me. But as I sat behind her, and as I got to know her, I, saw, I looked up one day, and I was raising my hands. I was rejoicing. And, and that lady had tough things going on in her life. And, and I started hearing story after story at, at Chihi's funeral and Euro's funeral about how they'd been touched and how worship, how people had learned that spirit of joy from getting to know her and being a part of worship with her. And I, th- I thought about that verse, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus as you are thankful, as you are thinking about the gospel, as you are practicing your faith, and as you say, Lord, I choose to rejoice. It's not about me. It's not about where I am. It's not about circumstance. Lord, I choose to worship you. I sing. I shout. I clap. I lift my hands. Maybe even I dance. I do whatever, God. I meditate. I pray. I pray. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As Paul said, as I have learned the peace of God. What are you learning today? I want to challenge you to learn the peace and the presence of God. By being thankful, by thinking, by practicing, and rejoicing. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your great name, your great grace. Worthy is the lamb who was slain for us. We give you thanks and praise. And God, I know there are many today that that spirit of anxiety is welling up within them. And the enemy is saying, you don't have the right to. You would be such a hypocrite. You would look so strange. You don't feel it. That's not right. God, I pray that in spite of what we feel, in spite of what the enemy says, that we say, greater is he that's in me than he that can do, than he that's in the world. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I rejoice. Again, I do choose to, bring, to rejoice in you, not in my circumstances, but in who you are, Christ Jesus, and who I am in you. I give you thanks and praise, and I rejoice in that fact. Though my heart is broken, though my spirit is dry, I choose to rejoice, I choose to pray, I choose to sing, I choose to worship so that you might be glorified because I believe. Even when I doubt, Lord, help my unbelief. I put my faith and trust in you. Thank you this day, Lord. And if there's one that doesn't know you, I pray that you would draw them today to say, God, I recognize I can't do it on my own. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be perfect. I need your forgiveness, the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And Lord, I put my trust in you and ask you to apply that to my account so that I might be your child and you might be my God and that I might be at peace with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.